Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. I want you to look this morning at Romans chapter 2, verse 16. And here is this uncalendared day. You're not going to find a date. It's not going to say February the 26th. It simply says this. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. This is a day that is not on our calendar, but it is a day that most certainly will come to pass. There's no doubt about it. It will come to pass. Uh, There's a lot of fuzziness surrounding the day as we try to understand what that judgment day is going to be like, what we could expect on judgment day, and whether or not it's really going to happen. And it seems to me as I look at this, I'm reminded that there are other places in the Bible where the best way to describe something is to say no. There's not this. There's none of this. There's none of this because anytime you come to something like this where the Bible describes it with a whole bunch of no's, you probably understand that it's hard for us to relate to it. So the only way that God can tell us so we can understand it is to say, there's not going to be any of this, there's not going to be any of this, there's not going to be any of this. As somebody said, it's like trying to describe a desert to the Eskimos, uh, just to say that there's not going to be ice there. There's not going to be snow there. Not going to be any igloos there. Not going to be any polar bears there. Because if all you've ever known throughout your whole life is igloos and polar bears and ice and snow and cold, way down below zero kind of cold, the only thing you've ever known, then, then you've, got to, you've got to put it in a different kind of way to understand it. Say there's none of this, none of this, none of this, none of this. Now, when John is describing what heaven is going to be like in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he begins to give us this kind of description. He says there's not going to be any sea there. All of our lives, we've known what it is to come to the end of uh, uh, land and find sea. It's divided the continents. It's divided the people that were upon the continents. But when we get to heaven, there's no more sea. In heaven, there's no more death. Hallelujah. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no crying, no tears, no tears up there, no tears in heaven fair. There's no pain in heaven. There's no temple in heaven because we're worshiping our Lord Jesus and we shall see his face. There's no need of the sun or moon in, in, in heaven. There's no closed gates in heaven. They're open all the time. There's no night. There's no more night when we get to heaven. There's nothing that defiles or is an abomination or a lie. There's no curse anymore when we get to heaven. And there is no end to what it's going to be like when we get there. So you describe a place like that and you give it a name. You call it heaven. And we know that in, all that we know that is in this life is the division of continents by the sea. But up there we'll be together as one, one people. 
All we know in this life is death and sorrow and pain and suffering and danger and darkness and lock your doors at night. So to understand heaven, God gives us this picture to say, you don't have to lock your doors anymore. We're not going to have doors to close anymore. You don't have to be worried about the dark anymore. You don't have to worry about sickness or disease. There's no, no cancer in heaven. There's no more sickness in heaven. There's no more dying in heaven. We'll never shed a tear in heaven. And you don't have to have a place, a church, a temple, or anywhere to go worship because you're going to worship the Lamb in heaven, and that's going to be a wonderful thing. Now, you turn all this around, and you begin to say, when the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to his to my gospel, what does that look like? So I have this morning, going through these verses, just tried to go through these verses, and I think the popular word is unpack it. So I want to try to unpack it to you this morning, what this judgment is going to look like. So let's begin with this. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, we're talking about the judgment day, and when we talk about the judgment day, the Bible speaks with absolute certainty when Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, in the day, he is not indicating that maybe there is going to be a judgment, or perhaps uh, he is indicating that there is an uncalendared day. But just because it is not on the calendar doesn't take away from the fact that it is definitely coming and it's definitely going to happen. The Bible says in verse 2 of Romans 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. There is going to be judgment. There is going to be judgment. Don't doubt the day. Don't doubt the judge. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5, verse 22, that the Father has committed all judgment to His Son. There's only one judge. Now, we all like to be judges to some extent. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art, that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. One of the things that God's Word clearly teaches is that it's not going to be judgment by committee, and it's not going to be a jury trial. And when we begin to talk about judgment, the Bible just simply says that God has committed all judgment unto His Son. So there's no doubt there's going to be a day. There's no doubt there's going to be a judge. There's no doubt that He's going to have all of the facts, because He knows us. He knows all there is about us. So there's so much evidence concerning judgment to come that we must all believe that we most certainly will stand before the judgment seat of Christ because the Bible says we must all, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it also tells of a day when the lost will stand before God so everybody saved and lost Hard as it is sometimes for us to grip this, but everybody saved and lost is going to someday stand before God. That day is coming without a doubt. We are making our way toward Judgment Day. Step by step, 
We're moving that direction. So write down the word no doubt. The second thing that God's word tells us about the judgment that is to come is that there is no excuse. No excuse. No excuse for anyone. When I began to read uh, Romans chapter 1, and over the last couple of weeks we've dealt with this kind of hard passage of Scripture that just continues to come and come and come. Describe to us what kind of a world we're living in. And we read this passage of Scripture, and this is what it says at the end of verse 20, Romans chapter 1, so that they are without excuse. And it begins Romans chapter 2 with the very same word, you are inexcusable, old man. Not old man, but old man. Old man, old woman, you are without excuse. So in Romans 1, it tells us that all the heathen of the world, they have no excuse. And in Romans chapter 2, it says all the hypocrites of the world, they have no excuse. And then we get to Romans chapter 3, and it says all the Hebrews of the world, they have no excuse. No one has an excuse. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that, have an excuse? I mean, what's that got to do with judgment? It means that every one of us is going to come before God someday. And as the sins begin to be told out, you say, well, I'll have all of my reasoning as to, in some cases of a person, uh, as some of you here this morning, have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to have a whole list of reasons as to why. In your mind, they sound perfectly good excuses as to why you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. And none of them are good excuses. There is no excuse. And those excuses are going to come crashing down because the Bible says in Romans 2, 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. An excuse is one thing. But the truth is another thing. And so a person stands before God and they've got their excuses all worked out. And you think about it. Dear friend, that why haven't you trusted Christ your Savior? Well, you say, well, I, I, I didn't know enough about it, or I, I didn't hear enough about him, or I never really had that opportunity, or I was trying to get everything all figured out, and, I, and you just have a whole list of excuses. I didn't know. Everybody does it. Uh, I, it, it was on TV, so it had to be good. It seems perfectly acceptable to everyone. It didn't hurt anyone. The devil made me do it. Or somebody said, I was stupid. Well, can I get a word of witness? Yeah, we've all been there. Without a doubt, we've all been there. You may have an excuse right now of how you will answer the Lord on Judgment Day. Uh, you're very clever, but how does that excuse sound to you when you stand before one who's going to judge you according to the truth? And he will. It won't sound so good. So number one is no doubt. Number two is no excuse. Number three is no blame. You say, well, I'm going to blame it on someone else. No. Listen to what the Bible says. We looked at these verses last week. Verse 4, look at it. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. 
But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, if God is at work in your life, and it's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance, and all along he is trying to direct you and bring you along and bring you to a point where you call upon the name of the Lord, but you say, no, I am not going to follow Jesus. And you may say, well, here's the reason. It's because of that hypocrite. The Bible says you're without excuse. It's because of the narrowness that I saw in church. The Bible says you're without excuse. I mean, you don't want a broad way when the Bible says that the narrow way is the way to the Lord. So what, what would be, who would be the one that you could blame? You could say, well, it was a deacon, it was a Sunday school teacher, it was the pastor. Or some would even say, I'm just angry with God. And yet the Bible tells us that God, in so many ways, His common goodness is poured down upon us. He continues to just love us, and He, he is good to us with uh, the health that we have, with the life that we have, with the living in this country that we live in, with the food that's on our table. There's all that common goodness. And then beyond that, He is just, I would tell you to, this morning that He is a good, good God. Last week in the second service, as I just preached away, I was reminded of uh, like an old illustration. I think it was Spurgeon used it at some point. It's like you're trying to give a crumb to an ant. And so you take this little crumb of bread, and, and the ant is just minding his own business. He's just going through life. And you take a crumb of bread, and you think, I'm going to help him. I'm going to lay this crumb of bread off here to the side so that this ant will have this blessing. And the ant does not understand what you're trying to do. He doesn't know that you're trying to help him. By the way, I, I've seen ants. You, you've seen just a whole train of ants. And they're all packing a little something on their back. And I've heard that for their weight, ants can carry more than any other critter that God made. But they also have the largest hernias of any animal in the kingdom. So you lay this, you lay this little crumb off here, and, the, and then you take your finger. You're trying to direct this ant to this crumb. And you take your finger, and you lay it in front of the ant, and the ant comes to the to your finger, and he goes over. You say, well, this is not going to work. So you turn again, you lay it a different direction. All this time, you're trying to direct him. You're trying to move him somewhere. And if he could speak to you, he would say, listen, buddy, would you get your big old finger out of my way? I am trying to find something to eat for my family. All through life, God is trying to bless us. He's trying to direct us toward him. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, and yet mankind over and over and over again will say no to that. And the Bible says in saying no to that, they treasure up unto themselves wrath against the day of wrath. But when it all comes down to the end, and on that uncalendared day when we stand before God, there will be no one to blame. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. 
If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. Here's the fourth thing. No mistakes. No mistakes. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds. There are no mistakes with God. Now, he goes on and talks about some things that some people would say, well, this is a works-based salvation, but really it's not. Listen to these words. Verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuing and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, uh, eternal life. That's the end result. But in them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, for the Jew first and also the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also the Gentile. So we look at that and we say, well, okay, so there he's talking about works-based salvation. No, the key thing in all of this is to obey the truth. So God in his mercy and grace gives us his word, and he gives us uh, a Savior who died on the cross for us, and he gives us pictures all through God's Word and pictures in our life over and over again to remind us that it's not just hearing. Hearing is not God's standard. Hearing is not enough. The Bible says that in the case of a wise man, a wise man hears God's Word and obeys, and he builds his house upon a rock. A foolish man hears God's word but does not obey. He builds his house on the sand. Which one is going to stand when the storms come? It's always the house that is built upon the rock. This is not works-based salvation. Any more than the night that I turned away from my sin and turned to the Savior and trusted Jesus as my Savior and my sins for, were forgiven that night, that's not works-based salvation. Jesus Christ did everything on the cross when he died for me and was buried and he rose from the dead. They, he did everything that could, could possibly ever need to be done. The only thing that I do is I hear God's word and I obey it. I turn to Jesus Christ. This is what we have heard. This is what we see. And the Bible says that he will render to every man according to his deeds. If you hold fast to the sin of your life, then understand you're going to stand before God and you say, there must be some mistake. There will be no mistake on the uncalendared day. Number five, no favorites. No favorites. The Bible says in verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. God does not play favorites. He gives enough light to all. The Jew received light. The Gentile received less light, but was accountable for the light that he received. The Bible just simply says that God is not a God who plays favorites. He, there is no respect of persons with God. If you've ever seen the statue of Lady Justice, then you know she's got a blindfold on. She holds a balance, the scales in one hand, the scales of justice, but she wears a blindfold because she does not play favorites. She is not supposed to play favorites. Certainly that is true with our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who, has, who plays no favorites. The Bible says, for there is no respect of persons before God. 
None. Always fair. There were obviously some who thought, I am a Jew. So therefore, because I'm a Jew, I'm okay. I'm one of the chosen ones. And because I'm one of the chosen ones, then I'm okay when it comes to Judgment Day. And I've met some Catholics that thought the very same thing. I am a Catholic. And because I'm a Catholic, I'm okay when we come to Judgment Day. And I've met some Lutherans who would say, because I'm a Lutheran, and it's 500 years since the Reformation, I'm okay because I'm a Lutheran. I've met some Presbyterians who would say, I'm okay because I'm a Presbyterian. I've met some Pentecostals that would say, I'm okay because I'm a Pentecostal. But I've never met any more than Baptists. There are more Baptists that say, because I'm a Baptist, that's all that matters. I'm a Baptist. Or I've heard folks say, well, because my granddad was a Baptist preacher, or my dad was a Baptist preacher, or somebody, uncle so-and-so back there, was a Baptist preacher. No, folks, listen, the Bible says that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And except you be born again, whether you're Jewish, Catholic, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not about the denomination or the name that is on the sign. It is about what Jesus Christ has done in your heart. There are no favorites with God. There are those on the outside looking in, but there's a level playing field. One thing, no one will ever be able to accuse God of being unfair. You can't say on Judgment Day, that was not fair. I remember years ago at a basketball game observing the first half hadn't gone too well for a team, and at halftime they came out with a ladder, and they climbed up on the, uh, the ladder, and they began to, they, they tightened the rim. After one team had played half with this particular rim, they tightened or they loosened the rim. I'm sure it wasn't the Kentucky Wildcats. They would never do anything like that. God doesn't change the rules. God doesn't tighten the rim at halftime. Whether you're a priest or a Pharisee, a Sadducee or a soldier, a disciple or the mother of our Lord, whether you're a friend or a thief, when you look at the cross of Christ, all the people I just mentioned are standing there. Jewish priests are standing there. Pharisees, the conservative party is standing there. Sadducees, the liberal party, is standing there at the foot of the cross. Soldiers are there gambling for his robe. Disciples are there, not very many, just John. The rest of them had run off. Mary, the mother, is standing there. There are some friends of Jesus that are gathered around. There are some thieves that are hanging there beside him. And yet, when you look at all of it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we say that, we mean that Jesus Christ receives sinful men. Yeah, you must come to Jesus by, by the blood of Christ. You must come to God through the merits of Jesus Christ because there are no respect of persons with God. Number six, no secrets. God shall judge, the Bible says, God shall judge the secrets of men. Look at verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men and of women 
by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, God shall judge the secrets of men. And the ladies are not off the hook either. Adam and Eve tried to hide their disobedience to the Lord. And you hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he cries out, Adam, where art thou? And Adam's trying to hide from God. Cain took his brother's life. And when confronted with the fact, where is your brother? His answer was, am I my brother's keeper? He tried to hide from God. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived. David committed adultery and then committed murder, all in an attempt to cover up his transgressions. I think in some ways David is the classic case because after his disobedience, his adultery with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah the Hittite, then we find David in Psalm 51 after Nathan has confronted him, crying out to God, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Wash me thoroughly, O God. Cleanse me. He tried to hide his sin. He tried to hide his disobedience. But there were no secrets with God. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament lied to the church about their giving of all things. And they died in the presence of the Lord and before those people. It didn't matter. There are no secrets with God. You say, well, I've got a secret. No, you don't. We have no secrets with God. Then if that is the case, and we know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one. If every one of us in this building today is a sinner, and it is sure thing that we are all sinners, every one of us, if we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, then we ask the question, who can be saved? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Listen to these words in verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Here's the the seventh thing. There is no other gospel. No other gospel. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother Monty? There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other plan that man could have to ever come to God because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other hope that we have other than hoping in Jesus Christ. Paul comes right down to this point, and he makes it clear that the basis of all judgment is according to my gospel. Now, here is the good news. Here is the good news. You say, I'm glad, Brother Monty, because I'm kind of wishing I stayed home this morning. Well, listen, when you look at Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, I'm doing the best I can here. But it's all relentless the fact that we have sinned against God and, our, and, and the bit is taken in our teeth and our rebellion is coming to fruition and all of these things. But there's always good news because the Bible says in the day that he's going to judge the secrets of men's heart by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. According to my gospel. Now, if he's just going to judge the secrets of man's heart, then, friend, I don't have any hope whatsoever. If he's just going to judge the secrets of my heart, then then I am lost without any hope, and so are you. If all he's going to do is peel back the heart and see all the negative, but now here's the amazing thing about God's judgment. 
by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, when, when we look at our sin and we see all that is condemning us and pushing down on us, God looks at us not on the basis of what we have done, but upon what Jesus did. It's not about done, it's about did. God doesn't look at us based upon the works that we have in our life. God looks at us based upon the work that Jesus has already done. So I can come and say, come to the Lord and say, my failures. And the Lord says, what failures? My sin. What sin? What sin are you talking about? You see, when it goes under the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Bible says, it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. So what is the basis of our judgment according to the gospel? According to my gospel, Paul said, well, my gospel is Jesus' gospel. And according to Paul's gospel, it is this, that he was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, here's my hope on the judgment day. I can't hope that there's not going to be a judgment day because there is going to be a judgment day. In the day, it's not on my calendar, but it could come at any time. There's no doubt there's going to be a judgment day. There's no doubt that I have no excuses. There's no doubt that I have nobody to blame but Monty Schinkel himself. I can't say the devil made me do it or Betty made me do it. I can't blame it on my kids or on my grandkids or on Betty's chickens. I can't do any of that. You cannot come up with one good excuse because why you are what you are. You say, well, well my daddy was rotten and my mother, she was not a good mother and all of that. The bottom line is, folks, we are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by choice. What are you going to do with that sin? Well, you can live in it all your life, and you can carry it to the grave with you. And if you never ask the Lord for forgiveness, and you never deal with your sin, you're going to stand before God someday. It's a sure thing. On an uncalendared day, you're going to stand before God someday. What's going to happen with you then? You're going to hear, as it is consistent throughout all Scripture, depart from me, I never knew you. But if you come to Jesus Christ, no other gospel, you come to, to God through Jesus Christ, you stand on that judgment day, there, there'll be an accusing attorney, there'll be a prosecutor in that day, but you understand that you've got the greatest defense attorney that there's ever been. You say, what are his credentials? He went to Calvary. He went to the grave. You say, well, does he carry his credentials with him? They're in the palms of his hands. They're in the place on his side. They're in the scars in his brow. And every one of them was put there for me so that I could be judged not according to myself, but according to his gospel. That's my hope. It's Jesus Christ. And that leads me to the final thing today, and that is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I know this morning that I'm preaching to many, many people that have trusted Christ as your Savior. And you've read the Bible, and you know this. When you read Romans chapter 7, you find... <laughs> The, the great agony of our hearts, the great battle that rages within us. But then you come to Romans chapter 8, and I'm so glad that the word begins in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, with these words, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I am glad that when I look at the uncalendared day, I am in Christ Jesus. So years ago, I heard a story about a man that 
was a comedian of sorts. He gave his whole life to entertaining people, but he was a Christian man. And so one day he was brought before this king, and he entertained the king, and the king was happy with what he heard, and, and he laughed, and it was all good. But then as time went along, the king de dipped deeper and deeper into depression where there was nothing that, that anybody could do to ever cheer him up. And finally they sent for him, and they brought, he, they brought this man in, and, and uh, the king that day as he was entertained gave him a title, and he called him, he handed him a scepter, and he said, I'm giving this scepter to you because you, sir, are the world's greatest fool. Time passed. The king was dying. And he sent for this Christian comedian again, this court jester, this world's greatest fool as he'd been declared. But when the man came before the king that day, he was in no mood to cheer him up. He simply told him, asked him some questions. He said, uh, your majesty, if you were going to take a journey he said, would you send an ambassador ahead? Would you send a group ahead to check out the roads that you're going to travel? You'd check out the place that you're going to stay. You'd check out the food that you were going to eat. And he said, oh, yes. He said, I always do that. He said, you're about to embark on the greatest journey anybody takes. You're about to step into eternity. Have you made any preparations for that? And the king said, no, I have not. And the court jester handed him the scepter and then said, You, sir, are the world's biggest fool. Now that person who lives their entire life without trusting Christ as their Savior is going to stand someday in the judgment. All of us are going to stand in the judgment. That person is going to stand before the Lord without the defense of the gospel, without the hope of Jesus Christ, And there may be some in this building this morning that are in that very category because you have never trusted Jesus. You can't be ready for the judgment day unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And today you can say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I believe in the gospel of Christ. And you call upon the Lord and he will come into your life, forgive you and save you. And your life can be changed, and that can start this very day. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you, and I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon Him. And if today you've never trusted in Him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.